0: each one of you uh, this morning. Uh, Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I am uh, by nature a procrastinator. (laughs) I always have been and despite my best efforts to change, probably always will be. And I think it's psychological. I work best under pressure. And so the pressure of deadlines, real, actual deadlines, not self-imposed ones, uh, deadlines motivate me to get things done. And my habit of, of waiting to the last minute to, uh, to accomplish a task to get something done uh, drives certain people like my wife, and probably Pastor Lloyd a little bit too, uh, crazy. <laughs> These are the go-getters, right? Those who are on the opposite end of the procrastination spectrum, to-do lists, calendars, timelines, getting projects done ahead of schedule. And so this morning, I'm going to take a page out of the non-procrastinators playbook, and we're going to get a jump start on our Lenten series, get things done ahead of schedule, one week early. Lent is, of, of course, the season that proceeds Easter and Lent has a long history. Uh, even uh, since the, the times of the uh, apostles, uh, maybe a few years after them, Christians have set aside a few days before Easter uh, for prayer, for reflection, for repentance. And by the early 300s AD, uh, the whole church around the world was observing 40 days before Easter. And they called it Lent, which meant lengthening of days, similar to like our, our days lengthened with spring and things like that. And, and Ash Wednesday, 40 days uh, removed from Easter, not counting Sundays, Ash Wednesday marks the beginning of Lent. And as the traditional kickoff of Lent, Ash Wednesday is, is marked by self-examination and by reflecting on your own sin and your own sinful inclinations. We look at ourselves and we see our unworthiness and our depravity and we repent of that. We turn from that. And instead we look to Christ and to his death on the cross for us and on our behalf. Repentance. Repentance for the march newsletter pastor lloyd uh, wrote an excellent article that introduces and and summarizes the topic of repentance i hope that you've had a chance to read that if not it's available online and i also took the liberty of printing off a few copies and it's on the back table there if you uh... haven't uh, gotten that or you don't get the newsletter be sure to grab one on your way out uh, But repentance is a topic that's talked about all throughout scripture Uh, repentance is is not simply feeling sorry for your sins Uh, it's not just something you do to make up for sins Uh, repentance is is not just a one-off thing that you do uh, to complete a spiritual checklist Uh, in scripture repentance goes beyond those external things Uh, repentance involves a change of mind but a a change of mind that affects the whole person your intellect, your emotions, your will, and your heart. And as Pastor Lloyd mentioned during the announcement time, but during Lent, we'll be looking at various passages of Scripture from both the Old and the New Testament. And as we do this, we're going to look at the concept of repentance. And we'll look specifically at at the question of who needs repentance. And spoiler alert here, it's not just wicked sinners and evil dictators that need to repent, right? Everybody needs repentance. We all need repentance. And the first text that we'll look at in this um, Lenten series, if you will, is from Deuteronomy chapter 4. This text jumps right into the middle of Moses' address to the people of Israel as they're getting ready to enter into the promised land. We're going to put a lot of this text in context as as we study it. Um, So I'm just going to uh, dive into this and read this. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, we will be starting at verse 21. I'd ask that you stand this morning, if you're able, out of reverence for the word of the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 4, beginning at verse 21. Again, reading in Jesus' name furthermore the Lord was angry with me because of you and he swore that I should not cross the Jordan and that I should not enter the good land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance for I must die in this land I must not go over the Jordan but you shall go over and take possession of that good land take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God which he made with you and make a carved image the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And when you father children and children's children, and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything, by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live in it long, but will utterly be destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands, that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search for him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. And when you are in tribulation and these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Old Testament text that was delivered to the Old Testament saints long ago and is still very applicable to us today. Lord, we ask that you would be here today in our midst as we open up your word, Uh, just guide our hearts, show us where we need to repent of our sins, where we need to change and draw us to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. The sermon text this morning uh, starts with, with Moses describing his own need for repentance and the Lord's judgment against Moses. Uh, Moses begins, The Lord was angry with me. <laughs> That's never good, is it? Right? The Lord was angry with Moses. Why? What was his crime? Moses was disobedient and took glory that was reserved for the Lord himself. And that story is recorded in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 20. And at this point in time, Israel had been wandering in the desert, uh, dwelling in the desert, really, for the last 40 years after their exodus from Egypt. They were almost done serving their sentence uh, for their their consequence really for their refusal to enter the promised land the first time. And so as they're making preparations uh, to to enter the promised land, they come to this spot uh, called Meribah where there was no water. And it's not exactly an ideal spot to camp. And so the the complaint was not exactly illegitimate, right? You need water. Your flocks need water. But in their grumbling and their complaining, they began to quarrel against the Lord and against Moses. And, And the people, again, wished that they had either died in Egypt or had died during their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And so Moses and Aaron go before the Lord, and they present this request for water. And the Lord gave this answer in uh, Numbers chapter 20. Take the staff, the Lord said, and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give a drink to the congregation and their cattle. As the Lord had done so often, he was going to be doing again. He was going to miraculously provide for the people of Israel. He was, he was going to bring water out of a rock that Moses had spoken to. But Moses had his own ideas in mind, and this is where he gets into a little bit of trouble here. Continuing on the story in Numbers chapter 20, Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, "'Here now, you rebels!' And he's not just talking to the DGF rebels, right? <laughs> but he is talking to rebels who have rebelled against God. Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water out of this rock? And so Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and also their livestock. What was wrong with Moses' action? The Lord told Moses, right, to speak, to the rock and Moses probably in his anger and frustration with the Lord's people took his staff and and smacked the rock not just once but twice right Uh, but the words he said even before that um, really convey his self-centered attitude he said shall we right Moses and Aaron shall we do this miraculous thing for you bringing water out of this rock Moses took what the Lord was going to do, miraculously going to do, and took the glory for himself. And because of that sin, Moses' punishment was that he could not enter in to the promised land. Uh, Numbers chapter 20, verse 12, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. And it was only about a year later that Moses would die at the front door of the Promised Land, unable to cross the Jordan River and lead God's people into the Promised Land. That honor would fall on Joshua and Caleb, but the punishment was a stark warning for the Lord's people. And so as as Moses is giving this address, this sermon in in Deuteronomy chapter 4, his his banishment from the promised land is is fresh in his mind. Moses' retelling of, of this story and his own failure sets the stage for the next part of the text. Moses moves from the Lord's past judgment on him, to the to the Lord's pending judgment on those who commit idolatry, both personally and as a nation. And that's the the focus really of the rest of these verses in Deuteronomy four that we that we read. Uh, Look again just for an example at at verses twenty three and twenty four. There there, Moses says, Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make a carved image in the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Idolatry and idols, false gods. Don't go following after them, Moses warns. And there are, there are two errors that are associated with idolatry that, that Moses reminds the people of. And the first error of idolatry is that it causes us to forget God's word. Take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God. Moses said in verse 23, the first danger uh, that the Israelites needed to avoid for, was forgetting God's word. The Lord, the creator of the universe, the one who, who dwells in unapproachable light, but yet spoke his, his words verbally and audibly from Mount Sinai. He made this, this covenant, this promise between the Lord and the people. And for their part, the people agreed to abide by that covenant, hold true to the promises. But yet, very quickly after that, they forgot God. They forgot his promises. They forgot his word, and they neglected his covenant. Forgetting God's word. Our, our enemy, the devil, works really hard, works in overdrive to try to get us to forget God, and, and especially the word of his the word that he's given us. And if we're honest, uh, getting us to neglect the word of God is, is really about the only trick that the devil has up his sleeve. We begin to forget and neglect God's word when we begin to doubt it. And ever since the beginning, the enemy has been trying to get us to doubt the word of God, the reliability of God's word. And that was the, really the impetus behind his temptation to Adam and Eve. Remember his, his temptation to Eve? came to Eve and he said, did God really say? And then he goes on to talk about the fruit, right? Did God really say? And along that same vein of, of thought, during think of Jesus' baptism. There the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus in the form of a dove and a voice from heaven, the voice of, of God, uh, says to Jesus and to all those who were who present there, this is my beloved Son right and from there Jesus goes into the desert for 40 days to fast and to pray and while he's there he's tempted by the devil and the first line of satan the first line satan spews to Jesus is this line if you are the son of god see what the enemy is trying to do there god has just said this is my beloved son and now Satan is coming trying to get Jesus to doubt God's word, trying to get him to doubt that. And it's the same trick that the enemy uses with us today. Did God really say? Did God really say that Jesus rose from the dead? Maybe, maybe he just appeared to have been risen from the dead. Did God really say that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven? Maybe, maybe you can get there on your own. Did God really say we should be stopping our our sinful indulgences? I mean, God wants you to be happy, right? And if it feels good, do it. Did God really say, and then fill in your own blank there. The word of God, brothers and sisters, the word of, of God is our constant guide through life. It is, as the author of Hebrews put it, living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And David in the Psalms, in Psalm 19, said the law of the Lord is Perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. More to be desired are they, the word of the Lord, than gold. Sweeter than honey is the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we have the precious, eternal, inerrant word of the living God in your hands or or there at your fingertips. Do not neglect it. Do not be tempted to think that you've grown too old for it or have it all figured out. Spend time in it daily. Memorize it. Let it permeate your thought life. Do not forget the word of the Lord. The first error of idolatry is forgetting God's word, and the second error then logically follows. If you forget God's word and stop following him, you'll start to follow false gods and worship something else. Take care, he says, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you and make a carved image the second error of idolatry is uh, is maybe the more obvious one following false gods and moses warns the children of israel against making any carved image right this is a part of a, of a violation of the first commandment you shall have no other gods before me the lord said right and this is something that israel constantly constantly struggled with Uh, cultures of the nations around them were all polytheistic, meaning they worshiped a, a plethora of gods. A god for the sun, a god for the moon, a god for the rivers, a god for the sea, a god for the harvest. You name it, the ancients had a god for it. And oftentimes these gods had images, statues carved of them, and people would bow down before that image and worship it as if it were God. And Israel, the people of God, weren't immune to that temptation either. Right after the Lord gave the Ten Commandments, what did Israel do? You remember this story, right? Moses had been up on the mountain for 40 days, and they had wondered what happened to him, and they thought thought he died. And so they they asked Aaron to make a god for them, right? Make the golden calf. And they declared, this is the god that led us out of Egypt, (laughs) right? And the Lord says, don't do that. (laughs) Don't bow down to a false god. Don't come before a god of wood or stone and think that that is your god. It's not just this, this physical act of bowing down to gods or carving them out of wood or stone that we need to avoid. Uh, in the large catechism, Martin Luther uh, says this about the first commandment, and he, he, he defines what it means to believe in a god or to have a god. And, and I love this simple, succinct definition by Luther. He says, A god means that from which we are to expect all good and in which we take refuge in all distress. I say that whatever you set your heart on and put your trust in is truly your God. We violate the first commandment when we look to other things and to other people other than the Lord God for our good and for our refuge. We break this commandment when we set our hearts and we trust in other things other than the Lord. Where do you expect your good to come from? Where do you hope in? Where do you go in times of trouble? In times of trouble. This week on a, on a, global, on a, on a global level even has been a rough one hasn't it, right? If, if you're like many, you've spent this past week glued to the TV and to Twitter just to hear the, the latest updates coming out of Ukraine, right? The Russian invasion of, of a sovereign nation under false pretenses was predicted for weeks. And, and even so, I think we were all shocked when it finally uh, did happen. And some of the images and, and videos that we've seen have been fascinating. I think great stories are going to be told of these first few battles for Ukraine uh, years down the line, right? Aside from just the, surprising, uh, the surprises of, of the Ukrainians holding back the Russians uh, quite well, their president taking up arms, refusing to leave, you see 80-year-old you men lined up to get rifles and other amazing displays of bravery. Uh, there's also been some wonderful revival and prayer happening in the nation of Ukraine. Uh, There are dozens of of images like this, but I found just a few to show you here. Um, This one here, this is a screenshot of of Christians gathered in a um, Kiev train station uh, before the attacks began. Uh, They were singing hymns together, praying corporately. That's amazing, isn't it? Seeing the body of Christ come together, people singing hymns. Or here, uh, Kharkiv, one, uh, one of the first places to be invaded. Uh, this was actually shown on CNN. A group of Christians gathered together in one of their town squares, and what are they doing? They're on their knees praying, right? Uh, think of this one too. This was a family in, uh, I can't remember where this one was taken, Um, but here is a family singing hymns. A Ukrainian family singing Hold Me Fast. Again, these are all videos. I just took screenshots of them, right? But there have been dozens of other examples of of this, of this faith and trust the Ukrainians have in the Lord during these dark times. And it doesn't mean that these these people have sat passively by waiting for God's miraculous deliverance, right? They, They realize that that as they uh, trust in the Lord, that the Lord often works through means, right? God works through ordinary, everyday channels to provide and protect, and so they've taken up arms, both young and old, rich and poor, presidents and, and normal citizens, to defend their country, and as they do, many you Ukrainians, many, not all, but, but many, know that their hope and their trust isn't in their politicians or in their political allies. Their hope and their trust, their refuge in times of trouble, is the Lord their God. Let's go back to that quote by Martin Luther. A God means that which you are to expect all good from and in which we take refuge in all distress. I say that whatever you set your heart on and put your trust in truly is your god where do you expect all good to come from where is your refuge in trouble and distress what or whom have you placed your heart and put your trust in today we we aren't prone to bow down before uh, carved images right idols of wood or stone but, but there are plenty of other things that have taken the place of god in our hearts Sometimes we we seek to find our our good in our our financial security trusting that the money that we have in our bank accounts and the job and the income uh, that we have will see us through any hardship. We look to our politicians, right? Either the guys in office now or or the ones we hope to elect in the next cycle to deliver us from all distress. We set our hearts and find our joy in our sports teams or our kids athletic accomplishments and in our own achievements. But none of these things are to be worshipped. None of them demand our attention and our affection. They are idolatrous. So what is uh, the reason for this prohibition against idolatry? Um, Why should we not look to sources other than the Lord God as our refuge? As Moses says in, in verse 24, The Lord our God is a consuming fire. He is a jealous God. We often think of, of jealousy as a sin, and if we think of jealousy as a sin, then the Lord God, who is jealous, must be sinful, right? Uh, not quite, right? We often, in, in English, use the words envy and jealousy uh, interchangeably, but there are some subtle nuances to it, right? Envy is defined as, as wanting something that belongs to another person. That's prohibited by the 9th and 10th Commandments, right? You shall not covet. However, in, in contrast, uh, jealousy is a little bit different. Uh, Dr. Gary Collins uh, said this about jealousy. He says, Jealousy is the fear that something which we possess will be taken away by another person. Although jealousy can apply to our jobs, our possessions, our reputation, the word more often refers to the anxiety which comes when we are afraid that the affections of a loved one might be lost to a rival. Jealousy relates to something you do not have, right, but you want. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah, that, that's envy. Jealousy, on the other hand, relates to something you have, the affections of, of a loved one, right, and you do not want to lose. Those, those differences are subtle but significant, And the Lord God can rightly be jealous of you, his children, and of your affections towards him because of this. We are his, right? He has created us. He has redeemed us. He brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. They were a people for his own possession. He did not want to lose or to share their affection and their love. And he has redeemed you by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross shedding his blood for you, redeeming you. He has a right to be desirous of your affection, your love, your attention, your time. And he does not want to see a third party steal that. He is a jealous God. Moses also said that some hard, had some hard, harsh words for, for Israel. If they went on and they allowed their affections to be for anyone other Than the Lord, if they followed this course of idolatry, there would be a punishment for those who rebelled against the Lord. Look at these verses again, verses 26 and 27. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you shall soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but you will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. What was Israel or what was the punishment Moses prophesied against, against the, um, the people who abandoned the Lord? It wasn't a, a pretty picture, was it? They would be utterly, I guess, there it is, yeah. no, there it is right here, yeah. It, they would be utterly destroyed, right? They would be um, scattered. They would become few in number. And this, uh, this prophecy was fulfilled twice. Uh, All throughout Israel's existence, they struggled with observing this first commandment. They worshiped other gods. They bowed down to the deities of the nations around them. And finally, the time came when Israel received their punishment that was due to them. In 722 BC, the northern kingdom of Israel was defeated by the Assyrian Empire. Their towns were destroyed. Their nobility was carried off into exile. Their poor were slaughtered in the streets. And more than a century later, in 605 B.C., the southern kingdom of Judah was conquered by the Babylonians and their king, Nebuchadnezzar, right? The Judean king was disposed, a puppet government was installed, their leading citizens exiled, and eventually the temple was destroyed. And all of this was the punishment for their sin of idolatry, for following other gods. But yet Moses, knowing the character of the Lord, said that there would be mercy for those who repent. Look again at verses 29 and 30. There is going to be mercy for those who repent. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and will find him if you search after him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. And when you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant which your fathers, or with your fathers that he swore to them. And in these verses, we, uh, we come full circle and we talk about our, our Lenten theme for this year, repentance, and, and ask who needs repentance, right? Remember, repentance simply isn't feeling sorry for your sins. It's not just an, an action that you do to make up for past sins. Repentance is not that one-off thing that you, you check off the, the spiritual checklist. In Scripture, repentance goes beyond those external actions. And repentance involves a change of mind, but a, a change of mind that affects the whole person intellect, emotions, will, and the heart. Uh, think, of it, think of it this way, right? Imagine that today after church, uh, you're going to go to the, the cities. You've got meetings down there, right? You're going to head to the Twin Cities. So, what's the easiest way to get to the Twin Cities? Go down to I-94, right, and take 94 into the Twin Cities. You can take 10, but then you've got to stop through all those little towns, right? But imagine that instead of going uh, east on 94, you go west. And I'm sorry, I'm all turned around in here. I can never remember which way east is west, is, so don't, <laughs> don't criticize me for that, right? But imagine you you go west instead of going east. How long will it take you to get to Minneapolis, right? You hit Jamestown, you hit Bismarck, you hit Billings. Are you going to get to Minneapolis? (laughs) No, right? Uh, the, The best thing to do after you've recognized your error is to stop heading that wrong direction and to start heading the correct direction. And repentance works the same way in your life. When you're confronted with your sin, idolatry, envy, anger, bitterness, whatever God's word confronts you on, when you're confronted with your sins and your shortcomings, you stop doing them, right? You stop doing what's wrong and you go the opposite way of it, returning to the Lord and to his will. Um repentance you you do that so often and you do that every single day it's not that one-time thing when you come to Christ that that does happen right but repentance is a daily thing Uh, even though we are new creations in Christ Jesus we, we still have that old sin nature within us right we still have that that needs to be destroyed it constantly wants to lead us away Tempting us to sin, causing us to doubt God and his word. Tempting us to sin. And so daily, hourly, moment by moment, we battle sin. And when confronted with our sin and the gravity of it, the seriousness of it, we repent. And when we repent, the promise of the Lord is that he is merciful. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. Mercy. Mercy is when you don't receive the punishment or the consequence that you deserved. You should have gotten a speeding ticket, but the officer let you off with just a warning. The, the principal had every right to suspend you from school indefinitely, but she showed mercy on you and just gave you a detention, right? Your boss would be right to fire you for showing up late five times this week to work, right? But he is merciful with you, patient with your shortcomings. <laughs> the Lord our God is, is full of mercy for us. When we repent, he forgives our sins, cleansing us from the stain that they make in our soul. Our sins earn us death, but the Lord God has had mercy on us and has compassion and grace on us. And he demonstrated his mercy ultimately at the cross. There Jesus Christ took the punishment that you and your sins deserved. He took it upon himself. The holy and innocent one became sin for you, dying in your place and on your behalf, bringing you to God. And it's because of his son's death that the Lord God can freely and abundantly show his mercy and grace to each one of us. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Amen. Amen. Let's pray as we close. Lord, again, I thank you for today. Thank you for your mercy and your grace that you have showered on us. Thank you for sending your Son. Thank you for uh, the promises of your word, Lord, and help us never to doubt but to trust and obey, Lord, as the centurion said or the, uh, the ruler said, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning is... Uh, is an Advent hymn. And yes, I know it's an Advent hymn. Uh, I know I'm in the wrong season. I'm either really procrastinating or really on top of it. I will <laughs> I will let you decide. But there's a verse in this hymn uh, that I've been reading or has been ringing in my ears as I've been, as I've been watching uh, the events of, uh, of the week and the things going on in Ukraine. And it's the, the fourth verse of the, the celebration hymnal version. I think there are like nine or ten verses of this song, so each hymnal has a little bit different, right? But as um, as we, as we, wait for the Messiah's second advent, his second coming, we sing this, O come desire of nations, bind all peoples in one heart and mind, bid envy, strife, and quarrels cease, fill the whole world with heaven's peace. And I love that. As, as we know that uh, until Christ returns, there will be wars and rumors of wars. There have been, there always will be. Nation will rise up against nation. There will be uh, kings and presidents and despots di, di, and dictators who, who rattle their sabers. None of this stuff in, in Russia and Ukraine is new, right? But through it all, the Lord is still in control. And uh, we, we long for that day where Jesus will come back and fill the whole world with heaven's peace.